Well, most of you know uh, that I am originally from the States, um, that I grew up in the southern U.S., and uh, those of you who didn't know that are like, oh, I hear it now. So, um, but yeah, that's where I grew up, and sadly, uh, our area is known for our history of, uh, of race, racism and a racial divide, and uh, this, this weekend, there has been um, more uh, divide that's happened um, in Virginia. Uh, there is a group um, of uh, white supremacists, is what they're calling themselves now, that uh, it's been the same ideology has been called by many different names over time. Uh, but this group was upset because they were going to take down a statue of uh, Robert E. Lee, uh, who was a Confederate general in the Civil War. Um, and so they were upset that the statue was coming down, so they went to this place in Virginia to protest um, the removal of the statue. And they did things like uh, light torches and march through a college campus uh, while uh, spewing uh, racial slurs, um, even going as far as um, identifying themselves with the Nazis um, and that kind of thing. And it's just uh, an extreme show of hatred. Um, and so they did that on Friday evening. On Saturday morning, they were back out again. And uh, because of what had happened Friday evening, uh, these counter-protest groups popped up uh, that were out there to say, hey, um, this is not who we are. This is not what we believe. Um, and uh, this uh, turned into violence. Um, with the two groups literally in fistfights, um, beating each other. Uh, and it's just a very, very ugly thing, a show of hatred. Um, and then it culminated with one of the counter-protest groups was in this one area, and somebody, we don't know his full intentions, but it seems pretty clear what his intentions were, drove his car straight into the group um, and killed a lady, um, and sent a lot more to the hospital. Um, and so a 32-year-old lady who was out there standing up against um, those who were spewing this hatred um, has now lost her life uh, because of it. Um, I think it's around 50 or 60 total um, from the day that ended up hospitalized uh, be- between the fighting and the car running into people. And we look at this, and it just it's sickening that this level of hate... Um, and this level um, of just anger exists and that it's here in the world. And, uh, and we, it's easy for us to think about that and associate it with the southern United States, with, with racism. Um, one of my good friends actually lives over in Calgary. And uh, he's from Calgary, but his wife is from Tennessee. And, uh, and she told me they, moved, they got married, and so she moved up here 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago now. And uh, she was telling me after they moved that as soon as anybody found out where she was from, which she had a very thick southern accent, so it was very obvious she was not from Calgary. Um, but as soon as anybody found out where she was from, that's all they wanted to talk about was how racist people are down there. And it really, like, 
got to her because believe it or not, everyone's not like that down there. Like it's, it's the bad apples that give everybody a bad name kind of thing. Um, but, uh, she got so tired of it that she just was trying to do all she could not even tell people where she was from. And it was some of her coworkers that would really give her a hard time about it. And, uh, and then the longer she was around them and hearing them talk, um, she found that, uh, they actually had a lot of racism going on in them, um, not towards black people, but towards First Nations people. Um, and uh, she's like, the things that they would say were far more racist than anything I would ever hear anybody say in public in the South um, about these people. And, and so, so she found that racism was alive on this side of the border. Um, but, you know, we're over here in B.C., we're much more enlightened over here, so, and that was 10 years ago in Alberta, so maybe they're all better now, um, but, you know, here in B.C., we've got it all figured out, right? Like, we're, we're not like those Albertans, um, especially when it comes to driving, am I right? Like, any, anybody get a little road rage when they see an Alberta tag cut them off? Anybody? Um, right? And so, we can even have that kind of mentality, when it comes to people just based on their license plate, right? That we can get angry with them over the way that they drive or whatever. Um, Brittany and I experienced a little bit of this when we first moved up here. Uh, We still had our plates on our car from Alabama, and uh, I think we got a total of three. We didn't have it. It was like a month's time before we got our BC plates, and we got three different notes uh, in parking lots um, complaining about our parking, um, one claiming that we had uh, banged our car door into theirs and, uh, and that they wrote down our plates and this, that, and the other. They didn't leave me any contact information to make it right um, with them over the supposed banging of the car door. Uh, but they just wanted to let us know that they were upset that uh, these people from Alabama were parking in their parking lot, I think. So, uh, but then, miraculously, when we got our BC plates, we have received zero letters. Um, so either we became miraculous parkers um, in that, that one month of time, or there was, there was an issue with people seeing our Alabama plates and, and wanting to let us know what they thought um, about us driving on their streets and in their parking lots. So, um, now by no means am I equating leaving a note on a windshield of a car with the hatred that's going on in Virginia. That's whole different levels of what's going on here, okay? But my point is this, that at our root, at our core, we can hold on to these angers and this hatred, and it takes on different forms, and it comes out in different ways. Um, but we need to, to check that, and we need to, to look at that. In today's passage, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. We are going to be looking at a place where it seems that Jesus' disciples even struggled with this issue of racism and this issue of hatred. Um, There's a group here that's referred to that we need to understand who they are. Um, They're the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans um, were a group of people 
um, that back in the Old Testament times, there was the northern king of, kingdom of Israel and then the southern kingdom of Israel. The north, both kingdoms ended up falling to and being conquered by other kingdoms out of God's punishment on them for not living the way that he told them to. But the northern kingdom fell first, and the, the, the people that conquered the northern kingdom, their uh, strategy for keeping people uh, from, uh, you know, causing a, an uprising or whatever, was they would take the people and they would move them around to different places, that, other places that they had conquered, um, and that way dividing the people that were of the same nationality, and they were less likely to cause a fight, um, to uprise against uh, the, the, the kingdom that had defeated them, okay? Um, and so that's what happened to the northern kingdom, and so they took these people from other places that they had conquered, and they brought them into Israel, and then they also took the people from Israel and and took them to those other places while leaving a few of them still in Israel. Well, the Samaritans are the people that intermarried um, between those people that were brought in and the Jewish people, okay? Um, And then they were their descendants and descendants and descendants after them, okay? And so the Jews in Jesus' day looked at the Samaritans as a half-breed, Um, as uh, a lowly group of people. Um, In fact, most uh, most Jews, if they were needing... See, Israel wrapped around the area that they were in, the area known as Samaria. Uh, And so uh, most people, to get from one side to the other, would go all the way around Samaria so as to just not even have to interact with any of those dirty, low-life half-breeds that are in Samaria. Um, and so they would go long ways around. Well, we see Jesus constantly. He just walks right through, and he's talking to people that are there um, as he goes and that kind of thing. We have several different accounts in Scripture where he is interacting uh, with uh, the Samaritans. Uh, we might know the story that he told about the Good Samaritan um, and that understanding that background of that prejudice and that racism that was going on in the people that he was talking to gives us a lot better understanding of that story and the point that he's making on even those who we look down on can be our neighbor and can show love um, to one another. But anyway, so we're, we needed to understand the Samaritans before we get to the passage for today. But starting in Luke chapter 9, start in verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so um, what's the big deal about Jerusalem? That's another thing we need to understand between the Jews and the Samaritans. Um, the Samaritans, we, we can see this from the account with, the, with Jesus with the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan woman. Um, and uh, Jesus interacted with her and told her about um, the need that she had for living water, uh, the kind of living water that only he can offer. Um, and he was asking her for just a drink of water, but he was offering her something much better. Um, and she figured out that he was a religious leader and a spiritual leader. And so one of her questions for him was about where to worship. Um, because the Samaritans, since the Jews looked down on the Samaritans, they would not let the Samaritans come and defile their holy temple. Um, they wouldn't let those little dirty half-breeds get into their temple. Um, and so they kept them out of the temple, so they, the Samaritans were not welcome to worship there. Um, but the Samaritans, in turn, had set up um, a mountain on which that they would worship on. Um, and so that was her question for Jesus, was which place should we worship? And, uh, and Jesus' answer was, it's about to become a day where it doesn't matter. 
um, because of what Jesus uh, was going to do for us and for them, uh, that uh, we don't have to go to one place, to a temple, to worship, to offer sacrifices, because Jesus was going to offer the ultimate sacrifice. So, so Jesus has his eyes set, and he's going to Jerusalem. What is he going there for? He's going there to lay down his life. Um, this is what we've seen building up in the, in the passages that we've been covering, is that Jesus is going uh, to Jerusalem to lay down his life. And he's going to do that for the Jews and the Samaritans alike. He's going to do that for all races of people, black, white, red, green, yellow, albino, whatever. Whatever color of skin people have, Jesus died for those people because all of us are sinners before God. People of every color, of every race, of every background, wherever they, their, their license plate says they're from, Jesus died for those people. And that's what he's got his mind on. That's where he's going. That's what he's going to Jerusalem for. And so the passage goes on, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. So he's passing through Samaria to get there. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. See, they they say, oh, this religious guy, he's going to Jerusalem, to the temple or whatever, to worship. We don't want any part of him. Why? Because they had equal racism in their heart back towards the Jews. Because they felt that they were excluded from the temple. And so since Jesus was going where the temple was and he was a religious leader, they said, we don't want anything to do with this guy. We don't want to hear what he has to say. We don't want him to stay here in our town. We don't want any part of that. And because of that, because of the racism in their heart, they missed out on the opportunity to know Jesus. And the same can be true of us. Our racism, our hatred, can stop us from getting to experience life with Jesus. When we hold bitterness in our hearts. Uh, In Matthew, we have recorded what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is teaching. And uh, Jesus told us, this in Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And Jesus is pointing us to the fact that while it's easy for us to love those who love us and hate those who hate us, what he's calling us to do is to love everyone. To show his love to everyone. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. He loved us enough 
The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To be a sinner means that you are the enemy of God. A sinner, by definition, is someone who does the opposite of God's will, who does things against what God wants them to do. And yet Jesus came while we were sinners, while we were his enemy, and he loved us enough to die for us, to lay down his life on a cross for us so that we could be made right with God. And so, I think Jesus meant that pretty literally, that we're to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. Derek shared a story about what persecution looks like in some parts of the world today. Here, it might look different. Here, it might look like people complaining because the church is in the park. So do we get angry and do we fight back at those people? Or do we love them and do we pray for them? Because you see, love is the cure to hatred and racism. And God is love. So going back to Luke, how did his disciples respond to this? You know, he's been rejected from this town. These lowly half-breeds have said, we don't want any part of him. And in verse 54... And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Like, really? James and John, that's where you're going. These people are rejecting Jesus, and your response is, we're ready. We can call down fire. We got this. Elijah did it. Uh, We know about Sodom and Gomorrah. We know God can totally do that. So let's go, Jesus. Like, let's just get out of town. We'll call down fire. We'll smoke these people. Literally, we're going to smoke them. Uh, And Jesus, in return, uh, rebukes them. He turned and rebuked them. Um, And they went on to another village. Why are James and John so ready to call down fire from heaven on these people rejecting Jesus? Because they still had that racism, that sin in their life. That hatred was still in their hearts towards these people. I can see their thought process. They're like, how can these lowly half-breeds reject Jesus? Like, don't they know how big a deal that he came to their town? They are so unworthy. What we need to do is we need to call down fire. We need to burn them. And we look at that and it's just like, really? But Jesus rebukes them. Is that because fire won't come? Is that because they won't be punished for rejecting Jesus? Well, if you skip over just to the next chapter in verse chapter 10... Verse 13, Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For in the might, if the mighty works uh, done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, shall be exalted to heaven. You shall be brought down 
to Hades. So Jesus warns whole cities in the next chapter that there will be a time when they burn. That time's not yet. And as as Jesus' followers, it's not our job to bring about the wrath of God and to call down the judgment of God on people. But instead, it's our job to warn people that that is coming and that there's an answer and that there's a solution. And that solution is Jesus. And that it's going to be very bad if they reject Jesus. But it's going to be very, very good if they accept him. Because he offers us forgiveness of our sins. He takes on himself on the cross the things that we have done. The ways that we have gone against God. The hatred that's in our hearts. He took that and he died on the cross for it. Out of his love for us. And that's the message that we're here to convey to people. That yes, there is judgment coming. But the great news is that Jesus offered us a way to be forgiven. And so that the wrath that we deserve, he took on himself. And we know that he dealt with it and he paid the punishment in full because he rose from the dead, proving that he had defeated not only sin, but the death that it requires. And he offers that freedom and that defeat for us. And that is a beautiful thing. So we're not here to enact the judgment of God on sinners, but to warn sinners that the judgment of God is coming. Jesus, after his uh, resurrection, uh, before he ascended into heaven, uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he gives us um, instructions on to, to first to his disciples, but it applies to all of us who follow Christ. That we're to be as witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. Those were the Jews. But then to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And Jesus is telling them, it's like the good news of the gospel of what I have done is not just for a small group of people. It's not based on a race. It's not based on a skin color. But it's based on my love for humanity. People of all colors, all shapes, all sizes. And that's why he tells them to go to all of those places. And if we don't understand this, if we don't get how ugly racism is, then we don't really get what it was that Jesus had to die for me for. You still have too high a view of yourself if you think that you're better than other people based on the family you were born into. You're you're not understanding the reality of how much we need Jesus and how much you need Jesus in your own life. Because that kind of thinking is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says that we are sinners who are enemies of God. We are lowly. We have nothing to boast in 
except for Jesus. It is in Jesus alone that we can boast. And Paul explains this in Galatians chapter 3. He says, he explains it this way. Starting in verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. If you have faith in Jesus and you have been born again by what Jesus has done for you, this applies to you. For as many of you as were baptized into into Christ have put on Christ. You're wearing Jesus. Your identity is in Jesus, not your skin color. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you, all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So what Paul tells us is Jew or Greek, two different races, doesn't matter. Those are the two races in Galatia that he would be writing to. We can apply this to any place where there's two races. Under Christ, it doesn't matter. We're the same. We're fallen mankind who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And that's why the church should be one of the greatest places of equality. One of the greatest places of no racial tension. Sadly, the enemy likes to bring this hatred into our bodies. I've seen this firsthand where I, where I grew up. The most segregated place in the South is church on Sunday mornings. We have black churches and we have white churches. And occasionally, if we want to feel good about ourselves, we meet together and then we go back to our churches. That's changing. Things are improving there. But what happens? What has happened there can easily happen anywhere. So I'm going to ask you here, in this place, instead of us just casting judgment on them, here in this place, do all peoples feel welcome? Do all peoples feel the love of God? Do we look at each other equally? I sure hope so. If we're not then we need to repent and we need to get right with God over that. Because when we're all standing on the same place of we are unworthy of what Jesus has done for us, then we see each other right beside ourselves. And it's easy in that place to love one another. And that's what Jesus tells us to do. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we do pray uh, for the people of Virginia, um, for those who uh, really had no part of what's going on, um, but yet their, their reputation, their state's reputation, their city's reputation is all um, being thrown under, under the bus and trampled on um, by these people that are spewing hatred. Uh, many of them came from other places to this place uh, to come make this scene Lord, I pray that you will convict the hearts of those that are doing these hateful things. Lord, I pray that the churches in that community will stand up and they will show the truth 
of who you are um, and then the, the reality of we're all uh, the same before you. And Lord, I pray for healing in that place. Lord, I pray for this place, uh, for any um, racism that we might find in our hearts, um, any thought processes that we have that are against you. Lord, please refine them. Help us to love our neighbor as ourself. No matter what skin color or background our neighbor comes from. Lord, we love you, and in turn, we want to love others. Lord, for anyone here who hasn't experienced the freedom of salvation in you, Lord, I pray that you'll bring them to that place, that you'll show them the need that they have for you as their Savior. And God, I just pray that you will restore them to yourself through Jesus and what he's done for us. And I pray all this in Christ's name.